Amen. Take your Bibles tonight. Turn with me, please, to Hebrews chapter number one. I want to say good evening to you, first of all, and welcome you to our Wednesday night Bible study. I am so thankful that each and every one of you are here. Um, it's good to be back tonight, man. Good to be back home. Um, so thankful that the Lord has made us a home here, and it. Um, and I miss not being here when we're not here. We took a little trip this last weekend. My wife celebrated her birthday yesterday. She's a year older, but um, just as beautiful as always inside and out. And so thankful that we were able to go and take some time away. But man, it's good to be back with all of you tonight. Um, I want to thank everybody that, that filled in for us this past Sunday. And uh, especially want to thank Brother Roy, brother, for sharing what the Lord put upon your heart. And I know that he used you greatly and we certainly appreciate you. Now, I want us to look again in Hebrews chapter number one this evening, and we started last week, and I think we got through about verse number three. Now, we could probably spend another month just on these first three verses. We're not going to do that, but we could, and the reason being, what the writer does here through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is he gives to us the full ministry of Jesus in a nutshell in just these three verses, and man, what a powerful truth we see just in these first three verses of the book of Hebrews. Not only does he give us the ministry of Christ in a nutshell, but he also shows us how that Jesus is superior to even the prophets. And the prophets we know to be great men of God that the Lord used greatly. Uh, they spoke the word of God, but Jesus was the word of God made flesh. Can you say amen? And so there's a difference and the writer makes yeah, uh, it uh, it plain to us there in, in those first three verses. Now, I, I want to just review to you for you uh, a few things here that we looked at last time because all of this fits together, and you'll see why we're doing so in just a moment. But um, first of all, he says, if you look in verse number two, that God has spoken to us in these days by His own Son. Now, I love that. Now, really, what the writer is saying to us is that God is revealed to us through the person and ministry of the Lord Jesus. How many of you believe that tonight? Amen. We see who God is when we look at Jesus. We see that God is loving. We see that God um, is merciful. We see that God is righteous. We see that God is gracious. We see that God is willing to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. And all of that is shown in the person and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. The revelation of God the Father is found in the person and ministry of God the Son, who was incarnate in the flesh. He was born as a man so that he might do for men what men can't do for themselves. Uh, one of my favorite people ever is, uh, I've told you before, is Paul Harvey. I wish that Paul Harvey was still on the radio. You talk about a, a brother in Christ that was full of wisdom. Uh, he certainly was. I remember him saying something at, at Christmas time about the incarnation and what that means for us. And he explained it probably as good as I've ever heard it explained. He told a story of a farmer who was in his home on a cold winter's evening. And it was, man, it was just beginning to snow outside, just starting to get real cold. And while he was sitting there around his fire, there, he start, started hearing something pecking at the, at the glass, at the window pane. And so he walked over to the window and saw a baby bird that was out there pecking on the window pane. Couldn't get in. That bird had missed its flight south and was going to freeze to death if the farmer didn't do something. And so 
The farmer, having compassion on the bird, walked outside and tried to catch it. But every time he tried to catch it, the bird would just fly away. It would just get farther from him. And the bird didn't know what the farmer wanted to do because it's just a bird. It can't understand a man's way of thinking. The man's way of thinking is far above what the bird's is. And so the farmer would go back inside and the bird would come back and peck on the wind. And the farmer would go back out. As soon as he would go back out, sure enough, the bird would fly away again because it was afraid of the man. And then he would walk back inside. He'd done that three or four times. And the the farmer, if I could only become a bird, then maybe I could save this one. And that's exactly what God has done for us in the person of his son. We were never going to make it to God in our own power, in our understanding, in our righteousness and in our goodness. We were never going to be able to do that. God became a man so that he might save me. God became a man so that he might save you. And it's through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, God incarnate in the flesh, that we receive the revelation of truly who God is. And that's really what the writer of the book of Hebrews is saying there in verse number two. But he says a lot more. He goes on and says, he's spoken to us through his son, but he's also, and that Jesus has been appointed heir of all things. And we said that means that Jesus is an equal heir to all that God the Father possesses. Now, Jesus is God the Son. God is God the Father is God the Father. And then we have God the Holy Spirit. But there, there is nothing in the Holy Trinity that makes one less than the other. They're all God revealed to us in three distinct personalities. And so what the writer is saying is that Jesus is equal heir to God the Father. But now we looked at last week, Romans 8, 17, one of my favorite verses in all the New Testament, where it says that Jesus is an heir to God, but we are joint heirs with Christ. Now I want you to think about that just a moment. If you tonight are a Christ follower, if you've been blood-bought and born again into the family of God, the Bible is saying that you are made a partaker of all Christ is and all Christ has because you are joint heirs with Him. I love um, Pastor um, um, Vance Pittman. He said something once upon a time that, that blessed my soul. He said, I never knew that I was in the cattle business. But the Bible says in the book of Psalms that God owns a cattle on a thousand hills. And because we are partakers of all God, all Christ has and, and all Christ is, we too have a part in that cattle. And I'm so thankful tonight that we are joint heirs with him. So Jesus has not only revealed who God the Father is through his person and ministry, but he, he's also heir of all things. And then we're joint heirs with him, which is such a blessing for each and every one of us. And then it says something else. He also made the world. I gave you the John chapter 1 verses 1 through 3 last week. And we talked about how that in the beginning was the Word. Or that in the beginning was Jesus. And the Word was with God. Jesus was with God the Father. And Jesus was God. Can you say amen? And they weren't anything made that was made unless it was made by Him. We'll talk more about that tonight. Jesus made the universe, made the world. But then it says, not only did He do these things, but He also reveals to us the brightness of the glory of God. Jesus shows us the, the brightness of all God's glory. And then it tells us, not only does He create all things, 
but he holds all things together. Look what it says there in verse number three. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. Not only did he create the universe, but he's still holding the universe together. Every atom, every molecule, all of it is held together by the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what this verse is saying. And then he says, not only do all this, but he purged our sins. The Bible tells us, and we'll study this when we get further into Hebrews, that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. But how many of you know tonight, Jesus died and his blood was shed for you. Not for his wrong, but for my wrong. He didn't pay for his sin. He had no sin. He paid for my sin and your sin. The Bible says the sins of the whole world. And it was through the shedding of his blood that our sins can be forgiven. And now the Bible says all who place faith in Christ can have the blood of Jesus applied to our heart and life. And we can be washed clean. We can be made righteous before God who is holy. Not because of who we are or what we've done. But because of the finished work of Christ. Isn't that amazing? He's purged our sins. Let's go on though. He says something else finally. He says in that last part of the third verse, and he's now sit down on the right hand of the majesty of God. How many of you know Jesus is still on the throne? He is still in control. He sat down, not because he was finished, but because he finished the plan and work of redemption. Everything that needed to be done for mankind to be saved has been done in Christ. So he was able to sit down. Now he's still doing a lot of things. We talked about how he's still making intercession for us. Do you know that Jesus is praying for you even right now? And he prays for things that we don't even know we need. It's amazing. He does things for us that... I think we have no idea about. We probably will never know nothing about it until we get to heaven. But he's right now seated at the right hand of the Father. It's because of all these things that are mentioned in these first three verses that the writer says, Jesus is better than the prophets. Now, the prophets did a great work, but Jesus is better. Amen? And that's the point of what... Uh, the, the, the book of Hebrews is all about. Then he goes on, and in verses 4 through 14, he tells us that Jesus is not only better than the prophets, but he's also greater than the angels. Now, there's nothing wrong with the ministry of the prophets. They played their part and, and had their role, and God used them greatly, but Jesus was God, and Jesus did more than they could ever do. Jesus was a fulfillment of what they wrote. Now, same thing is true with the angels. The angels played their part, and God used them all throughout the Old Testament in the life of the Israelites. And God is still using angels today in, uh, in the lives of the church. Do you know that? The Bible says that the angels of God encamp about the righteous. I want you to think about that just a moment. I want you to know that if you are in Christ... God sees you as the righteousness of His Son, Jesus. You are the righteous. And the thing is, it promises in the book of Psalms that the angels themselves are encamped about us. They're taking care of us, and we don't even know that they're there, but they are. The Bible promises that. So the angels certainly have their role, but Jesus is better. Now, why would the writer keep stressing this? Because, again, he's writing to Hebrews. He's writing to Israelites, who the Hebrew people who 
grew up under the Old Testament law, grew up under the Old Covenant. Now, the prophets had a, a large part to do with how God worked in their lives throughout the Old Testament, and certainly the angels did too. And so the writer's just making it plain that even though God used the prophets and the angels, listen, the covenant that comes through Christ under grace is better than the covenant that came by the prophets under the law. And so he's making it clear to them and to us, <laughs> Jesus is better. We got a much better deal. Remember, we looked last week in Hebrews 8 and 6 where it says that we have a much better covenant based upon much better promises. Not just a little bit better. It's a lot better. And we're going to spend the rest of the time throughout the book of Hebrews finding out why. But he starts off with this foundation that Jesus is superior to even the prophets and to also the angels. Now look how he does it. First of all, we'll look at verses 4 and 5. Christ is superior, first of all, because of his person. Look how the writer puts this. Being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee, and again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Now everything that we're going to look at in these verses 4 through 14 is a quotation of Old Testament scripture. And what we have in verse number 5 here is a quotation from, first of all, Psalm 2 and 7, and then from 2 Samuel 7 and 14. So what the writer is doing is proving by the word of God that Jesus is far superior to the work of, that the angels did and the angels themselves. And he, and he starts off by saying he's superior because of who he is, because of... His person. He's been given a name that nobody else has been given. He is called the Son of God. Now you're going to find, if you read through the Old Testament, that many times God uses the sons of God referring to the angels themselves. And listen to what Dr. Warren Wiersbe says about that. The angels throughout the Old Testament are sometimes termed as sons of God, little s. Sons of God. And they're termed as sons of God collectively. But only Jesus is called the Son of God, capital S, individually. Jesus is put in a class all by himself. Jesus is the only begotten. Look at the quotation that's made here um, from Psalm 2 and 7. Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Everybody take your Bibles and I want to give you a New Testament verse. That's a, a, a good reference to this. It comes in John 1 and verse number 14. Brother, if you will, please put that on the screen for me. John 1 and 14 says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Now, who is the Word? Who is the Word? Jesus is the Word. John uses the Word to describe who Jesus is. And he says, The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Watch this now. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. What does it mean that Jesus is the only begotten Son? It means that He is in a class all by Himself. He's the only one given the name, the Son of God. Can you say amen to that? It shows us His person. It shows us that He is the Son of God. And he is God the Son. <laughs> and he revealed that to us 
through his own personal ministry that we read about on the pages of Scripture. So it's because of his person, listen to me now, he deserves worship. And that's what the writer says. Look down with me at verse number 6. Watch how he puts it. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. Do you remember in the book of Luke, we studied this at Christmas time. Sometimes I think we do ourselves a disservice by not looking at some of these passages uh, but just at Christmas time. So I want to look at some of them. Let's go back to Luke chapter number 2. And I want to share with you verse number 8. Luke chapter 2. And the 8th verse. The Bible says, And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. If you believe it, say amen. <laughs> Jesus, born in Bethlehem, heralded by angels, worshipped by them. Let's go on down. Look at verse number 14. Glory to God in the highest on earth. Peace and goodwill toward, toward men. So at the coming of the Son of God, God the Son, being incarnate in human flesh, the angels brought worship to Him. Why would they do that? I'll tell you why. Because of who He is. He's the Son of God, but He's God the Son. And that's what the writer's making plain to us. That's what we all got to get a hold of. He, he wouldn't, didn't just become God when he was born in the manger. Listen, he's always been God before the foundation of the world. Now, because of his person, he deserves worship. But because of his person, he deserves service. Look at this. Look at verse number 7. Watch how the Bible puts it. Hebrews chapter 1, verse number 7. And now the angels, he saith, who maketh his angels spirits and ministers a flame of fire. Now, what does he mean by this? Do you know that the angels are ministers unto the Lord Jesus? Now, what is a minister? Who can tell me what a minister is? If someone's in the ministry, then what are they? Well, they're servants. That's what a minister does. If you're in the ministry, you are ministering to God first and foremost and then to people. And the Bible says that's exactly what angels were created to do. They were created to serve. Now let me ask you something. If the angels worship Jesus, shouldn't we worship Jesus? Shouldn't we take advantage of every opportunity that we have to bring worship and honor and glory unto the Lord? Folks, I want to tell you something. Every time we come together collectively like we've done tonight, like we'll do Sunday, let's take advantage of the privilege we have of worshiping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Amen. Never just treat the worship service as a segue from Sunday school to preaching. Remember, when we come together to worship, who we are worshiping. We're worshiping the Creator God. We're worshiping the King of Kings. And we're taking part in what angels are already doing right now around the throne of God. So let's take advantage of it. Let's not miss out 
on the opportunity we've been given to worship. Now, if, if the angels worship God, I think we ought to worship Him as well. But if the angels serve God, shouldn't we do that as well too? Now listen to me, folks. Worship is more than just what we do on Sunday morning or what we do on Sunday night or what we do on Wednesday night. That's part of it. When we come together and we worship Him with our lips, when we sing these praises unto God, we should do that. Man, I hunger for that. I desire that. I need that. Man, what we do here on a Wednesday night, it brings me refreshment for the rest of the week. Keeps me going. Helps me along the way. Listen, gives me that needed uh, strength and desire to go out and be what God wants me to be. So I'm thankful for what God does in services just like this. Now, I'm glad that we get to come together and, and worship the Lord and learn of Him from His Word. That's an amazing thing and what a great opportunity and privilege that we have. But it, true worship is not just what we sing about in here, but what we do out there. Worship is, true worship is not just about what we do with our lips, but what we do with our life. How are you worshiping Jesus daily? What kind of father are you being to your kids? What kind of husband are you being to your wife? What kind of wife are you being to your husband? What kind of employee are you being at your workplace? What kind of a witness are you being with your friends? How are you treating people? You know, a lot of times I've come to find in all my relationships, it's not as much what you say sometimes, but how you say it. How are you speaking to folks? Be careful how you use your words, how you speak to people. Everybody you come in contact with and everybody you speak to is somebody Jesus died for. So how are we serving? How are we truly worshiping day by day? We've got to ask ourselves these questions. If the angels worship Jesus, we should worship Jesus. If the angels serve Jesus, we should serve Jesus. True worship is not just what happens with our lips in a service like this, but what happens with our lives day by day. So that's something I have to ask myself daily and you have to ask yourself daily. What we find in verse number 7 of Hebrews 1 is another quotation from Psalm 104 and 4. I just love how the writer here is using God's word to make his point. How many know there's power in the word of God? Amen. Use the word of God. Read the word of God. Teach the word of God. Preach the word of God. Share the word of God, man. And it's power in it. And that's what he's doing. Now, not only is Christ superior to angels because of his person, but Christ is also superior to angels because of his position. Look at verses 8 and 9. Watch how the Bible says this. But unto the Son, he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. So talking about Jesus here, the scripture says his throne is forever and ever. Jesus is king of kings now. 
He's king of kings tomorrow. He's king of kings for all eternity. Let me ask you something. If Jesus is always king and the king is always in control, don't you want to be a servant of the king? Don't you want to be a follower of Jesus? Don't you want to be on the right side of this thing? And the right side is on the side of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who holds the scepter. The one who holds the scepter is the one who has authority. Now, why does he have authority and dominion over all things? Well, the Bible tells us. The Bible says it's because he loves righteousness and hates iniquity. Look what it says there. Verse number uh, nine. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. I love that. Jesus is anointed as King of kings and Lord of lords. He holds the highest position simply because of his righteousness. Amen? He loves what's right. He lives what's right. And he hates that which is wrong. He hates iniquity. Christ is superior to angels not only because of his person, the name that he's been given, the Son of God and God the Son, but also because of his position. He's King of Kings. Christ is also superior to angels because of the power he possesses. Look at verses 10 through 12. Watch what this says. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thy hands. Well, again, he makes it clear that Jesus is creator. He goes on to say, they shall perish, but thou remainest, and, thou sh and they all shall wax old as doeth the garment. And as a vesture thou shalt fold them up, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. So what's he saying? He's saying that Jesus has the power as creator, and he is eternal because he's God. How many of you are thankful tonight? We'll get there as we go along. But Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, tomorrow, and forever. Amen. Had the great privilege this morning of praying with a, uh, a lady at the uh, gas station. She was telling me about a friend of hers who was having surgery this morning. I got to share with her a little bit and talk to her about how that Jesus is still able to heal Anything physically going on in our lives. If you, do you believe that tonight? Do you believe the Jesus we worship right now, that we're serving right now, that we're learning about right now, is the same Jesus who healed blinded eyes and deaf ears and withered hands and raised up dead people? Do you believe that's the same Jesus we have this evening? Absolutely. That's what the writer of the book of Hebrews is saying. Look, don't ever think that Jesus somehow has gotten old or gotten sick or gotten weak. He has not changed. He's still the same. He's still all-powerful. He's still able to do what we can't. And I'm so very thankful for that. He is superior to angels because of his power. Jesus is creator. And you need to understand this. Angels are created. Dr. David Jeremiah illustrated this about as good as anybody. Let me, let me ask you something. I want you to 
I'm going to give you a word. And then you, I want you to say the opposite of that word. Everybody ready? Up. Left. Light. God. Now some of you, if you didn't say it, you may have thought it. Some of you might have said Satan. Or the devil. How many of you know Satan is not the opposite of God. He's not on the same level as God. Who now is Satan was once Lucifer. And Lucifer was a created angel created by God for the worship and service of God. Everybody understand me? There's no one or nothing on the same level as the Lord Jesus Christ. That's my point. So you need to understand, listen to me now, Jesus is creator. Angels are created. We'll talk more as we go along in this about the difference in angels and demons and what that means for us. Um, we'll see that as we get on into the book, but I want you to understand and know, listen to me now, Angels are created beings. They're not on the same level as the Son of God and God the Son. Christ is creator. The angels are created. But then he says something else in verses 13 through 14 that I want us to see. But to which of the angels said he at any time, sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be the heirs of salvation? Now listen to me. Jesus is sovereign and the angels are servants. I spoke to you when I started this thing tonight about how that the angels actually serve those who are blood-bought, born-again believers. I, I shared with you how that the angels under the control of the Lord Jesus Christ I believe do things for us that maybe we'll never understand or know about until we are in heaven ourselves. Let me tell you why. Because we're still in the physical. They operate in the spiritual realm. And even though they can't be seen with our eyes, we can see the effect of what they do. And there is a spiritual realm that's even more real than the reality we know right now. It's amazing. The Bible teaches all about that. And the angels are ministering, listen to me, servants to the Lord, but they also serve our needs. And I don't know about you, but that's exciting to me. And I'm thankful for that. And I can't believe that God loves me enough to use an angel to protect me and to protect my family and to do the things that only God can do by His power. It's amazing. But the writer makes the argument, Jesus is sovereign God. He can do what He wants, when He wants, with whom He wants, how He wants. The angels are servants of the sovereign God. So even though the angels have a part to play, and they play their part well. Even though 
The angels do the work that God wants them to do and they do it well. You need to understand they're not on the same level as Jesus. Jesus is in a class all by himself. Can you say amen? amen. He's superior to the prophets. He's superior to angels. And the, the writer of the book of Hebrews is laying the foundation to show us how that the covenant that which comes under grace made possible because of the finished work of Christ is far superior to the covenant that came under the law and the prophets. Anybody got any comments or questions tonight?